Well, amen. I hope you've seen the light also. Amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, we're still in our Back to God series, and we've dealt with being back to the Bible, back to prayer, back to soul winning, back to loving, back to discipline, back to separation. And now we're going to get back to, the, back to church. You probably you're saying, I don't need that. I know, probably not, but we'll talk about it anyway. You're here, amen? That's what it's all about. You say, we're preaching to the choir tonight. Yeah, yeah, we are. That's really the truth. So this ought to be fun since we're all right with God and we can enjoy it, not, be, not have to worry about feeling like we're getting our toes stepped on tonight, right? You're here, amen? Well, we'll see. But the Holy Spirit does funny things. Doesn't matter what you preach, doesn't matter what you teach, He knows how to kind of hone in on the areas of weakness and areas that we have need of. So although you may not have a problem with being back to church because you're already here, uh, maybe there's another thing God will speak to you about along the way. You never know. But I don't think we need to shut down, close our eyes, kick back, relax, and maybe even take a nap. I think we need to keep our ears open and let God speak to us today. Hebrews chapter 10, powerful passage here in the Word of God. And I guess maybe uh, this is almost, uh, in a sense, kind of maybe a a message of... uh, I guess, preventive maintenance even, you know what I mean? I mean, it's one of those things that we hear it and we need to be reminded all the time of how important the church is. It's going to be a little different. We're going to try to get through the whole thing in one night, and we don't have much time because we do want to get to our communion, and we are looking forward to that. So we're going to move along very quickly today. I want to be done here in the next 28 minutes, so we're going to work on that. If we don't get through this, that'll be fine, but we do want to close in time so that we don't feel rushed. When it comes time for the Lord's Supper, we want to be able to enjoy that. So let's go ahead and take a moment. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we need you. We just love you. We thank you for this time together. May you help us, Father, and may you speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to realize how important and valuable the church is and how needed it is in our life as we move along in, our, in, in the Christian life. Lord, it's, it's just so important. It's so necessary. It's so needful. And Lord, may you just give us insight and understanding to all of that. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, churches are closing their doors. If not completely, they're closing them little by little, it seems, these days. You know, more churches are discontinuing their evening services than ever before. You know, the Sunday night service or possibly the midweek service. They're going by the way. Those are a thing of the past. You know, folks will say things like, well, you know, Folks just don't want to come out anymore. There's just not enough people to open the doors. There's just not enough folks to warrant turning the lights on and running the electric the whole time. I mean, there's only just a small handful anyway. It's just not worth the hassle. We can't seem to get the folks out after Sunday morning. If we're lucky to get them there on Sunday morning, let alone Sunday night, or let alone during the midweek. And so it seems that we're closing the doors. It seems that church is not, uh, the churches aren't open like they used to be. And... uh, Therefore, most are just giving it up. And around the country, this is happening. This isn't just something in our area. It's around the country. And uh, I don't know how, you know, you know, we get the idea that maybe, I guess, that we can serve folks better by closing them down altogether. I mean, folks are, you know, big on this thing nowadays. It's funny. Our families are in worse shape than they've ever been. But for some reason, we're closing our church doors so that we can have family time. Uh, it's amazing to me. We don't spend any time with our families. You Christians that go to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, your families are falling apart because you spend too much time at church. You need to spend more time as a family. You got to be kidding me, right? Yeah, I see how that's working. 
That's working real good in our country and our culture. The further away from God we get, the stronger our homes are becoming, right? It doesn't seem to be the case at all. Someone says, well, that's not what we're talking about. Well, what are you talking about? I'm just saying, it's getting a little bit, uh, I think we're trying to serve ourselves a little bit here, and we're coming with, up with excuses to justify our failures, and our failure to at least obey the biblical mandate, as we'll find soon. Now, we can't fight with the truth. The Bible does say that things are going to grow worse and worse as we approach the coming of the Lord. It's not going to get any easier to live the Christian life. It's not going to get any more comfortable to live the Christian life. It's not even going to become any more safe to live the Christian life. It's going to be more difficult, more challenging. It's going to be more bumps in the road. And the Bible tells us that as a whole, as we draw closer to the return of Christ, less and less people will likely want to hear the truth. That the Bible says that uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and through 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. I can understand the world wanting to do this, but the problem is this is the church we got some real issues here when the church is starting to find themselves having itching ears and the church is finding themselves turning away from the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall, come, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Do you realize that as believers, if we're going to live for Christ, the terrain in which we live, the culture in which we live, the society in which we live is not going to become more conducive to Christianity, but more combative. It's going to become more difficult throughout. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more challenges we will face as believers. It's sad as the world and unfortunately even some ministries are disregarding the Bible concerning salvation, separation, and sound doctrine, we find it so convenient to, um, you know, we, we find it easy to do those things in the predicament we find ourselves. Well, I guess nobody wants to hear it anymore. It's not really that relevant anymore in the culture we live. It's extremely relevant, more so than ever. Again, there's nothing easy about facing the day in which we live. There's nothing easy about going head, uh, head, uh, headlong into the degeneration in which we live. The gospel is not going to be something that everybody wants to hear. It never has been, it never will be, and it's only going to grow more bleak and more dark the closer we get to the return of Christ. And someone says, well, that's not very positive. Well, wait a second. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. It doesn't matter how bleak it gets in the world. We still have Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. We realize the church is not popular with the world, but it should be and ought to be popular with believers. According to our text, uh, there's never been a better time to assemble together, according to the text. According to our passage, we're exhorted to gather all the more as we see the signs of this falling away, as we see the signs of the return of Christ. Well, I'll tell you, more than ever, we need to get back to church. You know, we have a missions conference coming up, and someone says, ah, great, we're going to have to be there next couple nights. Let me tell you something, you need it. 
I need it. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we're going to need it. It's not getting easier to live for God. It's not like there's less temptation out there than there used to be. It's not like it's easier to stand for Christ in the workplace than it used to be. It's not as if we can go down the street and not be tempted by billboards and and different signs and posters. And it's not like our phones are making it easier to be pure. I'm just saying it's not getting easier. And when the Bible talks about this issue of getting back to church and being in the house of God, there's a reason for that. Because God realizes as we draw closer to the return of Christ, it's only going to get more difficult to stand and to live for Him. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about getting back to church. And so, first of all, I want to talk about the battle and church attendance. The battle and church attendance. Boy, there's a battle for some things. First of all, there's a battle for time today, isn't there? You know, a lot of times you talk to somebody about being in God's house and they'll say, well, we just don't have time. It's just so busy. My life's just so busy. There's just so much going on. I mean, you have sports and we have work, television, family, organization. We have the health club. We've got vacations. We've got weekend outings. We've got education. We've got all kinds of things that buy for our time continually. And boy, when it comes to being in God's house, the truth is, is that there is a battle for people's time today. You know, we got to sit here and put up screens that have nice little presentations and try to coax you and try to convince you in some cases to be in God's house. Now, not every one of you, don't misunderstand me. Many of you want to be there, but I'm telling you that much of what's going on in the church to entertain the people of God is to somehow, to, to somehow uh, entice them to be in the house of God, to participate in the work of God, to be involved in the things of Christ. It's like we have to almost, you know, just like the world does, convince you at every single turn that this is what you really want to do because it's in your best interest. And it shouldn't have to be that way in a biblical church. The people of God ought to know in their heart that I need to be in God's house and I don't need somebody to coax me or convince me or try to talk me into being there. I want to be there. But we're, we're battling for the time. And in a world in which we live, there's not one of us in the room that is not busy. And in many cases, we are busy with the mundane. We're busy with the frivolous. We're busy with things that don't really even matter and have no eternal consequence. I'm not saying that everybody... Listen, some are more busy than others in things that are very important. But the truth is, that's not the case usually. How much time do we spend in front of a television? How much time do we spend in front of a screen? How often do... We need family time, but we'll go out to eat and we'll sit around the table and look and stare at our phones. Our time... I'm, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. You ever feel that way? Overwhelmed? with your time or lack thereof. And yet there's so many times that what we're doing really isn't that important, really, when it all is said and done. It seems that the first hour that goes when time gets tight is the church hour. See, why are Christians so willing to give up time with God and his family? How's come that's the case? You know, when you get a little sniffles and you get a cold, you don't give up work. You still go. Why is that? Well, I got I to gotta, I gotta make money. I got to support my family. 
Last time I checked, being in God's house helps to preserve your family. Well, I'll tell you, without it, you may not have a family. It's a funny thing how we take certain things for granted. I'm telling you that the first thing that often goes, whether when it comes to time or any other situation, it seems to be the hour for church, the church hour. I mean, we're, we're really, you know, what are we really dependent upon? Are we really that dependent upon our favorite TV show or our overtime or our sporting event to get us through? Man, if I don't get to watch the Browns tonight when I get home, then please don't tell me the score because I am definitely, definitely taping it. Don't talk to me. I don't even want to hear it. Knock it off. But let me tell you something. I, I tell you what, I, I finally, I got a DVR now. I just got a DVR. But there were so many years, I mean, we're over here having church in the afternoon. So many of you didn't get to watch any games last year or the year before. Why? Because you're in God's house. You're doing the work of God. And you said, you know what? I don't have to see the, the Browns game. I'm not depending on that to get me through. I'm depending on him. And so I commend many of you. Wouldn't it be a shame to think that you were willing to give up something, a work or some, something for God because you just wanted to watch a stupid football game that in the end won't mean anything? Especially from a team called the Browns who's only won one game in the last year and a half. That's crazy, isn't it? Are we really more in need of a little extra sleep or money or relaxation or recreation than we are the presence and the power of God in our lives? Is it, is it really that we don't have time for God and his presence and his power in our lives? Is it really that we don't have time for God's house in our life? Or is it that we don't make time? And again, I say it's a battle for time. Because folks tonight, I'm sure there are folks that probably, as believers, I mean, I don't know about you, but you're here tonight because you're convinced that you ought to be back in God's house on a Sunday night as a believer. Let me ask you, how many scores of believers aren't in church tonight? And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about across the board. Who even have opportunity to, but they just choose not to. Why is that? Well, we just need to get back to church. <laughs> We're going to have to get back. If we want to see our country, we want to see our culture, we want to see the world in which we live affected for Christ, moved for Christ, inspired for Christ, impacted for Christ, then we're going to have to get back in God's house where we can get what we need to prepare for reaching them. Not only do we battle for time, we battle for talent. You think about the church house. I mean, singing, administration, clerical, speaking, teaching, listening, athletics, all of those things. Those are, those are issues, uh, uh, talents in many cases. And, you know, in the world, talents are rewarded lucratively. You know, they, they, you know it's, if you've got a talent in this world in which we live... Uh, and, and it's a commodity that people want. You can make a lot of money being talented. And unfortunately, it's much more lucrative than the church. You're not going to get rich working at a church. You're not going to get rich going to church, probably. Nobody's going to say, man, you're the best Sunday school teacher we got. How about we give you 20 extra grand a year? It's not going to happen. And, you know, so the church can't compete with the world for your time. And it can't compete for your talent, really. We can't compete for those things. 
And some of you have tremendous talents. And, and you ought to be getting back to church. You utilize those talents for God. If you're a good administrator, we could probably use some administration. Uh, you, you're good with, with finances, I mean really good, and can make a lot of money, then you need to talk to me and help me. We can use that. I'm just saying there's so many things that we can use that the world's much more willing to pay more for. But unfortunately, sometimes we find ourselves out of church giving our talent to the world and to Caesar. Because we can make more money. You know, I don't know if it's Stephen or Stephen Curry, because I can't stand the Warriors. But the Golden State Warriors, that's Steve Curry or whatever his name is, Stephen Curry. He signed, get this, a five-year deal with the Golden State Warriors for two hundred and one million dollars. A five-year, for playing basketball. A five-year deal for two hundred and one thousand dollars. Million. The Holy Spirit corrected me. I could hear her. Two hundred and one million. Can you imagine? Now, now listen. Believe what you want. Think what you want. Can I just tell you this? Stephen Curry or Steph... What's his name? Thank you. Stephen Curry. Making $201 million. I wonder how many Sunday services he makes. But then again, he is making $201 million. But I got to believe that... And somebody can say, well, yeah, but he could use that notoriety for Christ. Yeah, he's doing it. Come on, cussing on the court, doing all that stuff, claiming to be this great Christian. The next thing you know, he's cussing people out. I don't get stuff like that. He's not my hero. That's not what a Christian's supposed to be. Now listen, you you do what you want, but I'm happy today. I, I have no problem. Listen, a guy goes into professional sports, I get it, I understand all that. Listen, but he better be careful. You better not do away with God in his time. Better be careful how you do those things. I'm just saying, we're, we're biting for the talent. It's tough. How do you compete with $200 million? Ain't no church going to get Stephen Curry till he retires. Not only that, we got to focus on the eternal and not the temporal. And so, by the way, I'm going to go back real quick because I know there's somebody in the crowd probably thinking this. You're just jealous because you ain't making that. And if you could make it, you'd play ball too. I probably would. But anyway, we're moving on. I'm not joking. I mean, let's face it, $201 million for five years? I'll quit the ministry now. No, I'm teasing. But anyway. <laughs> Are you kidding me, man? Wow, that would be tempting. I haven't had anybody ask lately, so you're pretty safe. Trust me. You're pretty, well, I don't know. Maybe you almost wish it happened. But anyway, so we got to focus on on the eternal and not the temporal. I mean, isn't that really what it's about? Colossians 3.2 says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Not, not on things on the earth. Man, set your affection on things above. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's easy to get caught up in the world we live. Whether it's our time or our talent. Boy, I'll tell you, it's easy to find ourselves just 
enamored with the world. And as a result, our focus is right on the now, the here, not eternity. And we think to ourselves, man, I just got to have this. This is what's most important. And we're not careful. We miss out on that. We, we, miss, we miss the real reality that eternity is most important. It's a tough thing, especially for some of these young people. I, I, I'm amazed sometimes as, as folks get older, how we look at young people and we act like, boy, they, they're so dumb. They don't realize this. It's, it's all about eternity, young people. Don't you get it? Are you crazy? Don't you understand that? We forget we were young. You know how easy it is to get caught up in the world? Remember that if you're really, you're getting older now and you start to, you're finally catching it and you're realizing, man, there's more to life than the now. There's an eternity that awaits and we got to prepare and we got to ready ourselves and we have to send some stuff ahead. Young people, you do need to learn that reality and truth. But I also think as older folks, we need to be patient with our young people and try to help them, not just criticize them. Because it is very difficult in the world we live, especially the world we live in now. It's so easy to lose sight of eternity and focus on the temporal. Not only that, we see that we, so we saw the battle in church attendance, but also we need to get back to church. And, and, I, and I, I think about this point, the Bible and church attendance. The Bible. So there's a couple of examples that, that I just want to share. I know there's a number of others, but look if you would in Acts 5.42. Acts 5.42. The, the Bible and church attendance. See, when you go to the Bible, you're going to find that church was pretty important and that it was a tremendous element in the early church. That, that here in, the, in history, the Bible, uh, the church was important. So we got examples in the Word of God. Notice Acts chapter 5, verse 42. It says, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. This is very early on in the church, of course. And daily in the temple. Of course, we know that that's where the Jews met. They're in the temple. So the early church was finding themselves in those temples regularly. They were there to witness to the Jews. They were there to try to convince them of a risen Savior. So they're going to the temples now. And they're going there consistently. And they're giving the gospel. They're trying to reach out to their, their, their fellow Israelites. Fellow Jewish people. And then on the seventh, and, and then, then they would turn around and on the first day of the week, they'd gather together as a church. And they'd worship. They'd praise the Lord. These early, this early church put great stock in the church. And the church wasn't a big building early on. And because of necessity, they had to meet in homes. And they had to fellowship in smaller groups because of necessity. And there was also an element there, I'm sure, of practicability. It was practical as well. I mean, sometimes it doesn't hurt. I, I tell you, I'm not a fan of going to small groups in a church in lieu of services. But I have no problem with small groups. As long as the authority in them is proper. But I'm telling you, we got to be careful. Churches today have abandoned their evening services. They've abandoned their midweek services. And they simply say, well, just find a house to attend and you can go to that church, go to that house and somebody will teach the Bible there. And you guys can have some cookies and pop and enjoy yourself fellowshipping at the same time. Listen, I'm not opposed to doing that, but I certainly hate to see us getting rid of our church services. I hate to see us meeting corporately and coming together to elevate and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ.
So we see here that we have the example of the early church and they were meeting consistently, constantly, continually. And then we have Ephesians 5.25, another example concerning the church. We have an example here that is interesting. It's how Christ, the Bible says, loved the church. It says, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's interesting. Do you know how valuable the church is to Christ? He died for it. He gave his life for it. And then he goes on and he says, guess what, husbands? You're to be the picture of Christ in the church. When, when the world thinks of Christ in the church, they're to be able to look at your marriage and how you respond to your wife. And it ought to, it ought to be a picture of Christ. A, a physical picture of him and his bride. That's a pretty big responsibility. Now, that's an easy one. You know, when you first meet your girlfriend and, or your boyfriend and all of a sudden you start talking about getting married and you think, oh, it's so easy. They're so easy to adore and they're so easy to love. And they're so, so say, we get along so well together and, and it's going to be so wonderful. And I'll love her till the day I die. And she says, I'll love him till the day I die. And then about a year goes by. And sadly enough, within a year, many people are already having problems. Sadly. Well, he doesn't show me any attention and he don't talk to me. And, and, and she's saying, you know, uh, uh, he's saying, well, she doesn't, she doesn't meet my needs. And it's just not what it was all cracked up to be. And, and I'm, I just don't know. I'm, I feel neglected in this relationship. And everybody's a victim. Gentlemen, let me tell you something. Before you say I do to a woman, you better be willing to say to the Lord, I'll make, I will be the perfect, I will be the example of you and your church. And that means this. It, by the way, do you think that the church always responds to Christ the way they ought to? I, let's just take you as an individual believer. Are you always true and faithful to the Lord? I mean, honestly, let's just be honest here. Boy, how easy it is to, to you know, to, to kind of look at situations and say, you know, well, you know, you've got to love your wife like you love the church. How does he love the church? He gave his life for it. Guys, you've got a big responsibility, and so do I, loving our wives the way Christ loved the church. And the truth is, I don't care what the church does. Let me ask you, does he abandon the church? I'm just telling you, you better be careful before you say I do and you start getting all caught up in all the emotion of the relationship. You better make sure that you're making a very conscious decision to live Christ-like and to treat your wife with the respect and the love and the decency she deserves. I think many times wives would respond better if husbands treated better. And on the other hand, I think sometimes husbands would respond better if wives acted better. I think it works both ways. But let me tell you, the example here is Christ loving the church, giving himself for it. How valuable is the church then? How valuable should it be to us if it was that valuable to him? So, the next time you're tempted to neglect the church, you ought to ask yourself or say to yourself, I'm sure glad he didn't neglect me.
because you're part of the church. So Christ gave and he continues to give to the church that it may grow and prosper. And boy, I'll tell you what, he does that on a regular basis. So we see the Bible and church attendance. Just a couple simple examples. Man, it's so important, so valuable to Christ. And they were meeting early on consistently, constantly. And then we have the benefit of church attendance. Let me just give you two real basics. Here they are. Edification. Or one may say education or perfecting or maturing of the believer. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Isn't that funny? Who did he give? What did he give to the church as a gift then? You're looking at him. So the Bible says. Do you realize that you cannot be perfected without? Look at it. Read it. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the what? For the what? The what? Open your Bibles to chapter, chapter uh, 4 of Ephesians. You've got to get this. You've got to figure this out. We've got to understand this truth right here. This is important. Because, see, the temptation will be at some point that church becomes inconvenient. It becomes a problem. Or you, you have a run-in with a brother or sister in Christ. Or you don't appreciate... How, how the pastor landed on a particular doctrine, or you felt that he stepped on your toes a little bit too hard and that he preached a little bit too direct. And pretty soon, if you're not careful, you will be tempted to what? Neglect the church. And you'll feel justified in it. You better remember this truth, though. Notice what it says. Again, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What for? For the what? Perfecting. What was it for? Perfecting. Let's say that one more time. For the what? Perfecting. That's right. Do you understand what he says? The perfecting of the saints. You cannot be what God intended you to be. You cannot be the mature believer God intends you to be without the church. Because that's where the gifts are. That's where God gave you. Hey, no preacher's coming to your house and preaching every Sunday. No teacher showing up and teaching to you personally. Oh, I could turn the television on. Yeah, and when you die, see who does your funeral. And when you're in the hospital, who's going to visit you? you? You need a local church. That's what the Bible teaches. Why? Because you're going to find in the local church what you don't find on television. And you don't find on the internet. You're going to find what we're going to talk about next, and it's called exhortation. You and I need the house of God. We need this place. I went away for a week with the staff. Why? Because we get a chance to get preached at. Amen. Man, I need preached at too. It did me good. Did a perfecting work. It, 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 it begins to reveal some of the sharp edges that need knocked off. And preaching has a tendency to cause you to really dig in and find out where your, your flaws are and recognize the need for repentance and change in your life. It's perfecting us. That Sunday school teacher, the pastor, those that God places in leadership, you need them. 
Someone says, I can't believe you're talking about this stuff. If I didn't, what, like pay an evangelist to come in and say it? It's the Bible. We talk about the church. It's so important. We need the church because it edifies us. It builds us up, educates and perfects and matures us. And then we said exhortation as we close. Exhortation. It encourages us. We are exhorted through the fellowship that we have. We need the church because we need each other. In Hebrews 10, we already read it. It says, let us hold fast the profession of faith. It goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We got to be exhorted. We need exhorted. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more difficult it becomes. We need one another to lift each other up. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You know the church is? Brothers and sisters, that ought to be reaching down and going, hey brother, you're struggling? Let me help you up. We shouldn't be going around, oh, by the way, you tripped and fell. Good. That's not what we ought to be doing. We ought to be loving on them. We ought to say, brother, listen, I'm, I feel bad for this. this. I, I hate to see you in this situation. And I want to see you lifted up. I want to see you delivered. I want to see you back where you belong. And I want to see you enjoying the Lord Jesus again. Experiencing his joy and his peace and purpose in your life. So, we see the battle and the church, and church attendance, man, for time and talent. We've got to always keep in mind that we need to live for eternity. We saw the Bible and church attendance, examples of the early church consistently worshiping, consistently fellowshipping, consistently meeting together. And we saw how much Christ loved the church. And realize if he loved it that much and gave himself for it, we too ought to do the same. Then we saw the benefit of church attendance. Edification, or as we said, education, perfecting maturity. And ultimately, exhortation. An encouragement that comes through brothers and sisters in Christ. Helping and aiding and encouraging one another. And even reaching down and saying, here, let me give you a hand. Let's get back on track. Well, Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. Lord, just bless us now in these next few moments as we, Father, have an invitation. Lord, not just for what we spoke on, but Lord, as we prepare and ready ourselves for communion. Maybe we realize, Lord, that we don't want to take this unworthily. And there may be a sin in our life that is open and it's not something we're dealing with or have dealt with and we need to at least address it. We need to deal with it now before we take communion. And so, Lord, we're going to open up the altars. And, Lord, maybe there's just someone with a bad spirit or, Father, maybe someone's just struggling, Father, with uh, some kind of uh, sin in their life that they haven't been addressing and dealing with. Lord, help them to settle that and deal with it, to face it, Lord, and to just confess it to you. So, Lord, give us this opportunity now, Lord. Help us to realize how important church is. But then, Lord, help us to prepare our hearts and minds now, Lord, as we celebrate the one who made it all possible, the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Have thine own way, Lord, the song says. Again, we're getting ready for communion even.
I mean, I know you're here. I mean, preaching to the choir, I get it. But now we're getting ready even for communion.